Welcome to Below the Fold, the most honest and raw digital marketing podcast around. It's good to be back. Coming back with a bang. I might be hiring someone to speak for me. So you think you're an SEO ninja, eh? That was just my little fantasy in the back of my head. Here's the tip. Oh, I know the tip. Are you the one who told me the tip? I need you to come up with 50 business ideas. I'll be back in two hours. I think I need a new title. Hello and welcome to another episode of Below the Fold. This show is for marketers, startups, and anyone else wanting to know the ins and outs, the ups and downs of digital marketing. My name is Jacob Perry, and today I'm joined by Brandon Hassler. What's up, my man? Hey, that's my line, but I'm doing very well. How are you? I'm good. All right, so today's episode is actually really awesome. We've got two main topics that we're going to be talking about. I want to give you a little bit of a heads up and an agenda so that you can have an idea of what to expect on the show. We're going to start with current events. Did you have current events, Brandon? We didn't really talk about that that much. Um, <coughs> Man, so just for everyone watching and everyone listening, I'm getting over a sickness, so I uh, might make a lot of different sounds during the episode. Yeah, I can't wait for that. These are not digitally added in afterwards. These are actually from my, my uh, different areas of the body. But Yeah, that's, that's a good way to describe it. <laughs> As for current events, I don't really have anything current this week. I know uh, we, we went back and forth throughout the week on just some interesting stories that we found. So, I mean, I guess you could say, I mean, there's this one article on HubSpot that I brought up. Did you want me to go into that? Uh, no. So I'm not counting that as a current event. I'm All counting right. that as a topic for a little bit later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, outside of that, uh, nothing super current no, okay. no news for me to go over this time that's okay we've got plenty to go over so we don't we don't need to waste time with no current events <laughs> okay so two two topics we're going to get into uh the first one is on a hubspot article that talks about why marketers can't have nice things uh we'll we'll get into that the details uh i don't know how much time we're going to spend on that the second thing is going to get into a case study uh that dives into gillette's digital marketing practices Gillette meaning the company that sells razor blades. So that comes from uh, Avinash uh, Kaushik and his latest newsletter that uh, recently came out. He called out some pretty uh, uh, kind of mind-blowing things that Gillette is doing that I feel are worthy of talking about. I'm excited to hear about it. All right, Brandon, I'm going to turn this over to you and we're going to talk about some HubSpot, why marketers can't have nice things. We talked a little bit about this before going on the show, and I feel like we'll have some good dialogue. So this is so the so the way I came about this is I was just uh, browsing through inbound.org, which is interesting because my mentality of using inbound.org has been affected in a negative way, and this article actually hits on some of those points, which we'll go in later, but. I was just looking at, like, what are the big stories of the month in terms of popularity? What are people talking about in the marketing community? And this article was one of the hot articles of the month. So I decided, hey, everyone's talking about it. Let's look into this. And it's an article on HubSpot written by uh, Kip Bodnar. Hopefully I'm not mispronouncing that. But uh, the title is, uh, Marketers, This is Why We Can't Have Nice Things. And very similar to Gary Vaynerchuk's spiel about how uh, marketers ruin everything. Very, very similar. So to kind of give a, a recap for those uh, watching and, and watching, not watching, 
Well, that's a good little <laughs> mixture there. <laughs> mixture between watching and listening. Yes. Okay. So for those watching, um, a quick recap as to what this guy is talking about. And I'm going to go ahead and actually link to this in the Facebook chat so that for those who are listening or sorry, watching on Facebook can follow along. But basically some of the big points that stood out to me is he's just saying that every time consumer behavior evolves, marketers have new opportunities that were never uh, before available. You know, you look at uh, Instagram stories, it's a new feature. It's a new way, not only for users to interact, but marketers then look and say, Oh, this, the, the seas have opened. There's a whole new area here that I can take advantage of. Um, and uh, one of the things, uh, there aren't many other fields where the game reinvents itself so often, which is a kind of a love-hate thing I have with marketing as a career, is this job does change so much. It's not like many other professions where you can kind of like get it down and then it's just, you go in the office and it's doing the same thing. You've got it memorized. You have to always be in learning mode, which makes it fun, but at the same time, little frustrating i don't know if that's how you view your job in marketing like with that whole ever-changing type thing do you like that or do you have more of a man that really sucks how marketing keeps changing uh i i don't think it sucks and i don't think it changes as often as people think or or say i mean it does there's there's change right i mean there's change but you have a set of core tactics or strategies that are kind of evergreen you know, I mean, you always want to identify your audience. You always want to find a way to communicate with them and connect with them and engage with them. Uh, it's just the methods change, but the core strategies, I don't think change that much. So, uh, which is good and bad. Uh, and honestly, I, like I do, I do appreciate, uh, the, ch- I, I guess the change that you're talking about. So real quick, before you get back into the article, how closely related do you think this is to the concept of content shock? Uh, I think it's very, very closely aligned. Um, there's some things he brings up with a whole content shock that <coughs> I guess is a little bit different and, and maybe going on down a different road. But because he's not just talking about content, that one's talking about content shock, the one that we talked about in previous episodes. But he mentions content, and that's one of the things that marketers screw up. Yeah, but I feel like it was a pretty big theme where he's kind of like, as soon as a good idea comes up, everybody just throws all their resources at that one thing. And he uses a couple of, of, of examples. Infographics is a typical example that people use where infographics were really popular and all of a sudden, boom, everybody was doing infographics. I mean, you think about infographics and the best infographics are the ones that tell a story, taking complex information or data and making it visually easy, uh, easily consumed. But But people started kind of just making infographics out of anything, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and and it just, it turned into content shock. Well, I don't necessarily believe in content shock. That's probably for another episode mm-hmm. or for a previous episode. But, uh, but I think that's kind of what he's saying is uh, you take one concept like infographics or explainer videos or whiteboard videos and... Uh, a few people do it right and get some traction and all of a sudden it's like this magnet and every single marketer feels like they have to go and do that one thing. And by doing that, you ruin that one thing. Yeah. So he, he kind of took it a step further. Like content shock as, as the concept currently exists is basically 
there's so much content being created at any given time that there's too much for the consumers to to consume or the audience to consume, right? The, mm-hmm. uh, he's taking a step further and saying uh, there's so much out there and it's mostly crap that it's hurting marketers, not the consumers. So he's kind of taking, he's kind of like looking in the mirror and saying, Hey, you know, I, I've done this in the past too. Uh, so it's more of an inward reflection rather than an outward. We're hurting the consumers. We're hurting ourselves. Yeah. Did you get that from that? <laughs> yeah, definitely. I got that. And one thing I like that he said that um, ties into that is uh, his line was the enemy of remarkable marketing is impatience, which is very true because at many jobs, uh, especially in big companies, you have a lot of demands from the people up top. Uh, goals have to be hit. Why isn't revenue going up? Why aren't conversions going up? And so marketers often are kind of marketing in a very desperate way, um, you know, looking at the short-term needs and the and the, the lead goal that month and whatnot. And he goes on to say that, uh, the, you know, as soon as something new comes, the moment a beautiful ocean channel or new marketing strategy opens up, marketers lock to make the most of it. Or sorry, flock to make the most of it. And I like this line says, but then something happens. We cross the line into a sort of scorched earth marketing mentality where we forget the reason consumers were drawn to that channel to begin with. And we beat the living daylights out of it. We start to solve. We start, we start to resolve to our own goals instead of our customers. And that was really interesting um, because I'm thinking about Instagram. And, and later on, he says how, Basically, marketers are the reason that these platforms are popping up. And Instagram has really stood the test of time. And I think that was because, or at least partially because, Instagram is a lot harder to spam from a marketing angle than meaning, a network like like Twitter. Meaning you can't, like, you can't put links in the posts. Yeah, I mean, you can spam it with crappy photos, obviously, people just uploading I mean, type in, you know, hashtag Las Vegas, and it's just full of spam of, like, club promoters with just tons of text and the, the parties at this and, and show this to get in. And it's just it's not what Instagram is built for. So people are trying to get around that to, to drive attention. But people go to Instagram to look at beautiful photos um, and even more so now just to see, like, I don't want to read about what's going on in my friend Jacob's life. I want to see what's going on. And now with stories, I can listen and watch what's going on. And Mark, and then an ad pops up on Instagram stories. Hey, this is so-and-so. Uh, yeah. I just helped make these people millionaires and I can do the same for you. Yeah. Click right here. Um, hey, so sorry, go on. We're getting, we're getting a little further than I want to before we pass up what you kind of just read. So in one paragraph, he starts by saying early adoption is a good thing mm-hmm. in the paragraph just before. But then we ruin it. So so early adoption is a good thing. Then the next thing he says, but then something happens. And we cross the line into a sort of scorched earth marketing. So here, here's my question. First of all, do you agree with this? Yeah, I agree. Okay. It's not that I don't disagree. But as we get further into this article and this topic, something I, something happens inside my brain where I think, what can we do? Okay. So his solution is what? What's his solution to this? 
Um, I think the big solution, if, if I had to pick one more line out of the rest of the article, is in that paragraph, at least kind of hidden. And it's marketers need to identify the reason that consumers are using that platform in the first place. And if you can match your advertising or your marketing efforts to be in line with the same reason that consumers are there in the first place, that's good marketing, not in your face, just trying to what, you know, trying to do what everyone else is doing. I guess my next train of thought goes to, do you think that there is a finite amount of good ideas out there that make it so we shouldn't do scorched earth? Like, Hey, we're burning through our good ideas. We're going to get to the end. And then what are we going to do? Um, I wouldn't say that. I think it's just there's like there's there's an infinite amount of ideas just with um within the realm of providing value and being more organic. So with Facebook ads, um I think about that like there's ads that I like to see because it is so well targeted to me and the message is so well written that it did provide value into my day. Most of the ads I see, though, I'm not interested in, even though I fit the demographic, or at least they think I fit the demographic of of whatever service or product they're trying to sell me. Um, But with this, and this kind of goes along with what you were saying, is he talks, so let me say this, and this kind of goes back to your question. He talks about how we're messing up content and you look at uh, before we had like content marketing and, and providing value and whatnot, it was all about emails and ads. And like you mentioned, not very targeted. And even email today with all of the segmentation you can do and the automation based off uh, user behavior, there's, it's still kind of a shot in the dark, hoping that that person's interested in what the email is talking about. But that's how it was. And then users, of course, became accustomed to ignoring a lot of things. You know, services like Gmail did a much better job at figuring out what's spam and what's uh, a valuable email. And then that's when we started to figure out content. Like, oh, what if we did emails that actually delivered some value to someone? Um, And we send them to a webinar. Webinars start blowing up. And you're offering this premium, valuable content that normally people would charge for, but you're just charging for their information. And then, of course, that gets beat to death. But I look at, like, really good marketing now and – you know, I, I, I'm on YouTube a lot, so I always kind of go down the YouTube route, but I think that's just one of many different networks. Like influencer marketing, I feel like it's a new area. Will Instagram – or sorry, will influencer marketing be tapped out to death and will that be scourged? I don't see that happening, at least anywhere in the near future. Is that because there are enough influencers to feed the machine? Or because there's enough, uh, enough interest? I mean, what, what, what do you think? I think it's, again, like, uh, there's the obvious ones where people are just like, oh, can you uh, tell us, can you say, uh, read this line on the show and we're going to give you this much every episode? That's not influencer marketing, but, like, you look at what Samsung is doing with a lot of creators like Casey Neistat, and they've kind of flipped the script where it's not, hey, we have all that, we have this budget and we need you to do this thing on the show they're flipping it saying, hey, we've got this money and we've got this cool technology. We want to make your life better. We want to make your YouTube videos better. What can we do to help? And there's been, I think we talked about that on a previous episode of, of you know, the really good job that Samsung's been doing with working with creators. But now you have guys like Casey Neistat who are 
they're never like holding up their phone saying Samsung's so awesome. Sometimes they do that, but it's very organic. But they're filming on Samsung phones. They're they're doing cool projects where hey, Samsung just gave us all this cool gear. We're gonna go try this out with this new 360 camera, and it's a very well, what organic way what of you're, advertising. What you're really saying is that good marketing is takes it, time. Well, th- yeah, maybe that's not what I was gonna say. <laughs> I was saying good marketing will never go out of style. Sure. Right. So video is a good example of that, where certain types of videos, right, like the whiteboard videos or the explainer videos, those are fads, but video as a whole will likely never go anywhere. So as you're talking about influencer marketing, if there are the companies that are paying influencers to do that promo-y kind of Mm -hmm. dumb stuff, it might work at the beginning, but then people start to ignore it and then they lose their followers and then that's kind of the crappy, that's the crap. So really what you're saying is if you do good marketing, it never goes out of style. And the and the way what well, and if you're listening, you're asking, well, how do I make sure that my marketing is a type that doesn't go out of style? What classifies that as good? I think that goes back to that original point of look at why consumers are there. Why are people watching Casey Neistat's video? What experience are they hoping to have each video? And how can your brand be in alignment to where people are happy that Samsung, uh, you know, contributed or collaborated with? this creator on this project because it made their viewing experience better. And yeah. so, yeah, that's, it's kind of an interesting article. And, and, um, do you think he's a little idealistic? So that was one thing you mentioned was this is not possible. Here's my, here's my rebuttal to that. Okay. Look at religion. Uh, you look at Christianity. Jesus says, love everyone. Well, you could say, well, that's not realistic. Like the whole world. So, not so hang love on, hang on. Are, are you calling me a pessimist? No, I'm saying like we can't get mad at him or, or disagree that he's he's simply saying like guys, marketers, at least the smart ones who are reading this, um, we need to do better. We need to kick it up a notch because we're ruining these platforms. So hang on, hang on. Which 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 marketers are the smart ones? The ones that. Uh, aren't taking advantage of a platform and getting as much value out of it during that window where you can? Or are they the ones who aren't taking advantage because it's not the right thing to do? Look at your Facebook ad experience. You said that you have like these targeted ads that come up, and those are good ads. The way that gets ruined is you have that one out of 10 companies that have that really good ad, but because those those 9 out of 10 keep delivering crap ads, now you're you're eventually going to get to the point where you're just scrolling over Facebook ads and you're not looking at it and you're missing out on that good quality well targeted ad because you're just so fatigued from those ad placements that you just ignore it. This this is one of those circumstances where if everybody does it, if everybody plays by the rules, it'll work. Do you think if everyone plays by the rules then that will become overdone? I guess that kind of goes back to your original question. If everybody's a great I don't know. marketer. I don't know. If, well, that's the thing is if everybody is a great marketer, is that ever going to happen? That's why I call it idealistic is because even if you have people who are trying to do good marketing and they're trying to do it the way that he's outlining and they just don't know what they're doing, they're going to do it wrong. Mm-hmm. And by doing it wrong, they're ruining it for the ones – I'm not claiming they're ruining it. But this this scorched earth marketing concept claims that if you're doing it wrong – then you're ruining it for the rest of it. You're ruining that platform or you're ruining that tactic. So either everybody has to do it right or it's messed up and it's not going to work. Yeah. That's that's why I call it idealistic is because 
<laughs> it's not just the people who are actively, consciously saying, hey, sc- screw good marketing. I'm going to take advantage of this, and I'm going to squeeze it dry, and I'm just going to rape the heck out of it until infographics aren't cool anymore, and then I'm going to go to the next thing. So you, you, call the, you call the marketers that are playing by the rules, and I, and I put rules in air quotes because that's kind of what this author is talking about is good marketing is, uh, is the opposite of scorched earth marketing. And, and I, I would pose that the ones that are taking advantage are the smart ones because they're the ones who are making money. And when I talk about Facebook as an example, Facebook is the one that saved that. Marketers created a, a circumstance or a, a situation in which Facebook had to pivot and say, we better have better marketing or people are going to get pissed off at our platform because we're serving ads that aren't relevant to them. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, so I, one, thing I, one thing I told Brandon before the show, I told him, I, I, I'm pretty sure I hate this article. Uh, and the reason I hate it isn't because it doesn't have good information or information that, that isn't necessarily helpful, but because I don't think it's realistic. Well, I, think, I, think, I think there's some points in there that, that are like, I don't know, it sounds like the Mother Teresa of marketing where it's like, let's all, let's all just get along and let's, let's, let's hold hands and sing kumbaya. And- yeah, but I don't think he's saying like, guys, we all need to do this or else we all die. It's we just need to do better, guys. And you could say the same thing about all like charities and whatnot. We're trying to stop world hunger. Well, that's great. You're contributing. You're getting more people on board. But you're never, ever, ever going to actually stop world hunger alone. Let me. Let so, me. So, so that that's actually like that's a that's a common argument for situations like this where it's like, hey, just because it's not possible doesn't mean you just throw in the towel, right? And mm-hmm. world hunger is an example of that where we're never going to fix world hunger. But it doesn't mean we shouldn't feed a few people. Mm-hmm. So, I, I don't know. You know, maybe maybe I'm being too pessimistic, but uh, I don't know. It seems it seems like if I don't get in there right away and get as much advantage out of a, pl- a new platform as possible, then it's going to get ruined before I even get in there. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Well, let me ask you. Let me read you this line so that his article shifts, and I think this is what he's ultimately getting to, and it's about messaging. Where are you? Let me, re- um, let me read along with you. How we risk messing up messaging. Okay, I'm with you. I'm going to ask you, do you agree or disagree with this sentence? Okay. Facebook Messenger will be the next great marketing channel, and it is a it is arguably the best way to engage with the Facebook community as a marketer. Agree or disagree? Oh, Bold I, claim. Yeah. So I, I, I agree and disagree. He got too specific. He said Facebook Messaging. But Facebook isn't the only one doing this. Google is coming out with a new way for customers through Google My Business pages to message their um, or the businesses they want to interact with directly from their phone, right? So you open up a Google My Business page through the SERP, right? You, you, mm-hmm. you look up a brand, their knowledge graph shows up. It's got the Google My Business stuff. And there's a messaging option now that you click on and you can text directly with your thing. So is Facebook the next big thing? they are joining the next big big thing, which I, I I may agree with that it is kind of this messaging, the ability for people to text uh, with with businesses directly through their phone, texting. Yeah. Which I actually just texted with a company in the last two days. I went to Home Depot and I got some of the free popcorn that they offer you. You know what I'm talking about? <coughs> uh-huh. And the, I mean, the guy kind of like asked me if I wanted to, you know, get my AC units tuned up. 
And I said, yeah, it's probably been a little while. So I signed my name on their little form and they texted me and I went back and forth with them through text with questions I had about promos and cost and, and they interacted that way. I mean, especially with millennials who are more comfortable in the texting environment. Mm -hmm. I think it's, I think it's going to be huge for sure. So do you think, I, cause I think about Twitter direct messages, Instagram direct messages to me, they're graveyards. I don't check direct messages because I think it's just been so full of spam and just mass marketing for so long. Bots automatically. So, so when you say you. direct messaging, you're just talking, it's really just like Facebook's version of email. Yeah. Like, like you have an inbox and you can get to it whenever you want. Private messaging. Obviously it's nothing new what Facebook is doing. I mean, it's, it's smoother. It's more chat like and whatnot, but it's not a ton different from like Instagram messaging, Twitter messaging. So will Facebook messenger just go that route where it's eventually spammed to death? I guess that's kind of what he's saying is, guys, we have this golden opportunity. And he shows some pretty interesting data. So, again, if you're listening to this, type in HubSpot can't have nice things in Google. If you're watching this on Facebook, I've shared the link in the feed. This is a great section to read, but he does post this little graphic about, A, how HubSpot is using uh, Messenger to be more conversational and personalized and some interesting things. He shows uh, Hyatt and Rogers Communications, how they started using. So Hyatt started using Facebook Messenger for their customer service. And the interesting part here, what Rogers Communications, they saw a ever since starting to use Facebook Messenger as their way of communicating with customers, 65% increase in customer satisfaction, 65% decrease in customer complaints. It's just one of those things where you feel like, holy cow, like this seems so obvious. Why haven't we been doing this before now? Um, I thought a little bit of that as I was reading this. Why well, My thoughts were, man, I think uh, I need to be taking more advantage of um, Facebook Messenger because Facebook, one thing Facebook has proven is they're going to be around for a while. The game of, will Facebook be around next year? I don't think people are asking that question anymore. They've really solidified their place in the social yeah. industry. And so um, because there's so many people on there and because so many people are bored on Facebook and it's as simple as just message, um, I think it really opens the doors to where you can, like your customer support, like I, I think more people use or would prefer to use Facebook Messenger to chat with a representative of your cu customer than to go onto your website and then click the little icon in the corner and chat with someone because it just feels more personal because you're on Facebook as you. And if you can deliver that personalized experience, that's, I think this is an area, like he says, this is the gold rush. I forget the stat that he gave. Um, he is saying that in early experiments we've run at HubSpot, we've seen four times the conversion rate on Facebook messenger versus email. What is he, what, what conversion point is he talking about? So for example, he shows a, an example here. Someone signed up for, it looks like a, some type of HubSpot event rather than send an email saying, Hey, thanks for signing up for the event. We're going to keep you updated. Uh, click here to talk to a, I forget what they call them, coaches or, uh, or a, a sales rep. So now they actually send you a Facebook message. And this one says, hi, Elisa, uh, Elisa, thanks for registering for this event to give your to give your inbox a break we'll be using facebook messenger to keep you updated 
um, in the run-up to the event as well as on the day, looking forward to seeing you. And it's sent by, you know, this guy um, who's a sales rep there. And so they're saying that more people are now scheduling an appointment to talk to the sales rep through Facebook Messenger than they're seeing on email. And I think it's because it's right now it's so underutilized that you're grabbing that attention um, whereas right now people are just kind of accustomed to not saying I'm a big believer in, in email marketing, but there's definitely, uh, it's for a lot of people to just yeah. go through and well, archive stuff. This, this messaging option is, is going to be the same as everything else. Some companies are going to try to automate it where through the text messaging platform, they're just going to have automated, you know, responses and it's going to be a terrible experience and people aren't going to utilize that with specific companies and other companies are going to do it really well and have actual people responding and engaging with people. And uh, the companies that are doing it right are going to exceed and they're going to have those, those higher conversion rates. So, um, okay. So let's take a, a quick break to, to uh, kind of, kind of sum up a, a couple things here. First thing as a takeaway, and, and I'd, I'd love it if, if the audience here engaged with us on this, I'd love to hear how many of you currently are using Facebook messaging in this way. Uh, what successes have you had? Have you had trouble with it? Um, what? Uh, how do you think that the scorched earth marketing could ruin this? And uh, I, I don't know. I'd love to hear some good use cases where people kind of submit uh, their how they're using it and and, uh, and how well it's it's going for them. One thing that uh, a little, I guess, a, a nugget of advice from this article that was interesting is so he actually admitted that hey hubspot we've been guilty of this too and two pieces of advice i guess two little good takeaways is since kind of recognizing this clutter of of crappy content how everyone's used to be optimizing for the long tail terms um, he says since then we've implemented a strategy to update old posts with higher quality and updated information instead of launching into a new post or, and to redirect, you know, repetitive or irrelevant content. And the other thing is on their sales blog, they're now focusing on topics over keywords, kind of mapping each post to a larger topic. And you look at Google Hummingbird and these different uh, <coughs> changes with how Google is working and their algorithms to where they're much more intelligent, to where they understand what you're trying to say uh, versus marketers used to say, okay, here's five different long-term phrases. It's all the same thing but they're all getting different pieces of search volume. So we're going to create a piece of content around each one. Now what HubSpot is doing, and it's a smart strategy for anyone, is what's the core topic? What are the subtopics around that? If a, if a topic has been covered, but you want to write a new piece about it, just update the old piece of content. Like make your blog not just like a big piece of history, but like an evergreen resource where even the posts that were in June 2015, you can click on it and it's been updated. That's funny. I just read an article about Air Force One that was written back when Obama was the president, but then uh, Trump became the president. So they went back and changed the headline. But you go and read through it and it still has all the pictures of Obama and oh, talks about it. Yeah, it's, it's uh, so again, hey, it worked. You got, you got to do it the right way. Last thing on this is his last line of the article is let's make a mark or let's make our mark on marketing by doing it the right way. Uh, I, I don't know. That seems a little like, well, why does he get to dictate what the right way and the wrong way are? I have a hunch that the whole reason they wrote this article is because HubSpot is seeing such good success right now on Facebook messenger 
and they're like, man, this is awesome. And they're scared to death that crappy marketers are going to come in and screw up Facebook Messenger. And now they're losing out on all these leads. Newsflash, HubSpot, <laughs> get your head out of the sand. It's going to happen. So, <laughs> so take advantage of it. they're just trying to stretch it, it out can. a little bit. Like, okay. guys, don't ruin this for us. We don't have a ton more time, but I want to get to the next topic. Let's do it. So uh, Avinash Kaushik. He has a newsletter that he sends out via email. Good you job go on saying his name, by the way. Yeah? Was that right? Yeah, I just say Avinash something or Avinash. Avinash Kaushik? Avinash K. Google it. Yeah. That's so, what I tell people. <laughs> so one of his latest uh, emails that he sent out w- took a case study of Gillette. And I mentioned this at the beginning of the show that we're going to talk a little bit about Gillette. This is amazing. So Gillette has been around for 115 years. Did you know that, Brandon? It's the best a man can get. Have you ever used Gillette? I are you a Gillette guy? Use, are you a Gillette guy? Do you know how Gillette got me? No. Brilliant marketing campaign. How did Gillette get you? I'm not a Gillette guy. Oh, okay. Well, here's how I got it. My 18th birthday. When you're 18, you're you're not really getting mail because you don't have bills. So you get a piece of mail. You're like, hey, for me, it's a little <laughs> box with a with a razor blade. Happy birthday, uh, Brandon. You're 18. You're a man now. Time to start shaving. And I. To this day, I still use the same exact base that they sent me in the mail. So they know they're going to make money off me buying those expensive heads. Yeah, the blades and all that stuff. But that's how they got me because now I had it. And once I needed a refill, it's like, well, I'll just go buy the blades for this. I guess I'll just go empty my bank account so that I can have some razor blades. (laughs) Hey, so to this day, I think that's like one of the best. How did they even get your mailing address? I don't know. Some public and your birthday. And they're just like hitting up people when they turn 18 i think it's it was a smart campaign yeah that sounds more like they're child predators <laughs> <laughs> they're keeping an eye on all the kids who hey who are about to become adults anyway hey I, i'll actually agree with you that sounds like a pretty cool uh marketing strategy now let's talk about how they suck all right so avinash uh was talking about gillette and he opens it by saying today a brand i love an attempt to stretch your critical thinking skills and a surprise at the end, which is kind of how he introduces the thing. So Gillette has had a simple strategy for the last 115 years, and that is add one more blade and a moisturizing strip and then raise your prices. That's, that's yep. pretty much how it's been. In 2010, they had over 70% of the market share. That's huge. I think, it's, I think that's like a $1.6 billion market, and they had 70, <clears throat> excuse me, 70 plus percent of that market. Since 2011 to now, they've dropped to about 50%. Still not, I mean, that's still huge. But since 2011, they have never had uh, a quarter where they have had growth. Every quarter since 2011, they've declined in market share. Do you know what happened in 2011? <coughs> that's not when um, Dollar Shave Club started, was January it? 2011, Dollar Shave Club started. Later, Harry started. Those are the two biggest subscription uh, businesses for razors. Both of those put together, though, only have 12% of the market. So, I mean, there are, you know, at least half a dozen other so razor Dollar blade Shave companies. Club only has... Has less than 12%. Like because they could have 6%. 6%. I bet they have more than Harry's. So I'd guess they probably have 8 to 10%. Hmm. But... I uh, thought they were bigger. No, they're not. It's but also it's tough huge. Because people don't shave as much now. Because of beards? Just, that, yeah, it's more trendy and whatnot, which I've read interviews on that. Yeah, well, you know. It'll come back. Yeah, I was just, just going to say, beards come and go. 
Well, Gillette has been around 115 years. They've used the same strategy. In 2011, they started losing market share, and it's it's trending down still. So they're still 50%. So they're making hundreds of millions of dollars a year. But let me tell you about some of their marketing strategies, and I want to get your opinion as we kind of go along here. It sounds like you have a positive opinion of Gillette, but let's see how. Let's see if by the end of this show, I can get you to become a Dollar Shave Club member. <laughs> Which, by the way, I'm a Dollar Shave Club member. All right, so. <clears throat> The first thing he talks about is, uh, into, so he talks about the Dollar Shave Club thing and Gillette's response to Dollar Shave Club. So Gillette actually has their own subscription model. Did you know that? Uh, I think I did. Well, I didn't know that two seconds ago, but now that you said that, I remember seeing ads of Gillette basically doing the same thing because I saw it on Facebook and people were ripping it apart in the comment section, basically saying like, oh, you're Dollar Shave Club now. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's it's normal, right? They have to re, they have to they have to adapt. So when it comes to adapting, I mean, they're trying, but I don't think they're doing it well because they have this this idea of themselves as being like the best. So why should we have to change our prices because you can buy a razor through Dollar Shave Club for a dollar, right? Like we shouldn't have to do that. We've been around for over a hundred years. We've never changed our prices. So I think there's that old man mentality where they're like, no, we're we're ours is better. We're not we're not changing. And there's evidence of this. So they created Gillette On Demand. And let me let me give you a little bit of comparison. So Dollar Shave Club, their most expensive plan is $9 a month. Harry's, their most expensive plan is $15 a month. Okay? And, uh, you know, things change. You get a different, different amount of blades, different amount of cartridges in each shipment. So uh, the prices kind of differ. If, if we were to do... Price per cartridge, Harry's would be a dollar eighty-eight per cartridge. Dollar Shave Club would be two dollars and twenty-five cents per cartridge, and Gillette more than double at five dollars and sixty-two cents per cartridge. Their most expensive subscription is almost twenty-three dollars. So when it comes to price, it's like, are you serious? Like, how do you think you're going to compete against companies like Dollar Shave Club who have a more hip and modern brand? Who are way cheaper. They're trying to take the Apple approach. Which, how's Apple doing with market share? They're doing very well. Yeah. Yeah, they are. So what's Apple doing that Gillette's not? Perhaps so, you're going to get yeah, into that. we'll get into that. So, that, so that's one thing, okay? So price. L- let me talk a little bit more about price. They came out with a campaign that was called, I don't know if it was called this, but... At the very top of the page, it says, we hear you loud and clear, okay? And let me, let me pull up this page. So Avinash says, try to see if you can understand the price changes outlined here. And it's, we hear you loud and clear. This comes down to price. So when you talk about Apple, lots of people complain about Apple prices. Do they, do they lower their prices? Nope, they just make crappier products. <laughs> uh, so um, it's funny, as you're you're a Mac guy. I'm both. Uh, I'm well-rounded. Yeah, stop talking smack. Right? <laughs> so let me tell you about this price thing. They said at the very top, uh, we, hear, we heard you loud and clear. You told us our blades can be too expensive, and we listened. You can now find most Gillette blades and razors in the United States at lower prices without compromising any blade quality. Of course, actual price on select products is at a sole discretion of the retailer. 
and based on MSRP. So basically, we we have made it cheaper, but uh, the ones who are selling at the stores, they actually get to decide how much it's going to be. But let me, So they have about nine blades on here, and they have like the old price crossed out in red, and they've got the new price. Let me tell you one of these, okay? Old price of the Fusion 5 Pro Shield. Sorry, I just clicked on the button, so now i got to wait for the... Okay. Fusion 5 Pro Shield, old price, $9.49 to $12.49. So they give a range, okay? So $9.49 to $12.49. The new price, $8.99, so $0.50 cents cheaper, to $12.99, so $0.50 cents more expensive. Hmm. In other words, they came down on the lower end, but then they went up on the higher end. Interesting. Does that sound like they're listening to their consumers? I don't think so. Yeah, I would say not. So that's pricing, okay? Their subscription model, through the roof. Their listening, and I'm putting that in air quotes, is uh, what? (laughs) What does that mean? It makes no sense. I should share this, actually. I'm going to put this on the Facebook feed. Let me share this link real quick. Throw it in there. It's a hopping party. There we go. We got six people on here. Lower prices. Okay. So next thing on my list is SERPs. How do you think Gillette ranks for keywords like uh, best shaving razors? Uh, Well, for that term, if you said shaving razors, I would say top five. Really? Look it up. Tell me if they're in the top five. For shaving razors. For shaving razors. Because best, I feel like, then you got, like, the articles. Yeah, totally. So so one thing Avinash says, he actually challenges people. He says, you find them in the SERPs and let me know. They're nowhere. They're nowhere in the SERPs. They don't even pay for PPC. There are no ads. I see them in the, the SERPs. For what? This seems like a long result. Um, I see them. I typed in shaving razors. Where are they? And I've got them at number, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So they're number seven in the SERPs for razor blades. Is that the search query? Yeah. 12 results it's showing me. Wow. Maybe your settings are, are different. No. This, we might have just uncovered a Google change. That or I'm way hey, out of date. For, <laughs> first seen on <laughs> And I look like an idiot right yeah, now. Yeah, you probably do. So they're number seven, but they own 50% of the market share. And they've got the number two spot in the ad. Really? Yeah. Okay, let me, let me read this Should I you. send this over to Avinash? Yeah, you should. So it says, on Google, Gillette is almost invisible. So he doesn't say invisible. He says almost invisible. <laughs> the query, best shaving razors. One out of five product ads. Big visible PPC results are by Dorco and DSC, Dollar Shave Club. Zero organic results for Gillette. Just think about that. Zero for a company with 50% market share. And he's talking specifically about best shaving razors. He tried Bing. It's Braun, Dorco, Chic, Harry's, no Gillette. For someone with 50% of the market share, you think that they'd have more visibility on the SERPs. Super surprising. So they may be there, but they're almost invisible. I did do best shaving razors. They are not anywhere in the organic results on the first page, but they are number two on the bottom section of the ads. Hmm, that's hilarious. So they're not, they're not spending enough to get up in the, to the top portion is what you're saying. So the next thing is my very favorite, okay? They have a dollar coupon. A dollar. Who does dollar coupons? McDonald's. Okay. 
Yeah, McDonald's that has a $2 burger, you get a dollar off and it's half off. So it's amazing. 50% off. Gillette, their products are so expensive and they give a dollar off. Let me tell you how you get this dollar off, okay? So you go to their website, <coughs> to their promotions page. They have six promotions, a dollar off here, $3 off your first subscription month, uh, 50 cents off their shaving gel. You click on that and it takes you to coupons.com. So they don't even host their own promotions. So they they take you from a, a website that you trust, Gillette, and take you to a, a, a third-party website, and then they ask for your phone number. So coupons.com says, give us your phone number for this dollar-off coupon. Why do they need your phone number? So they can verify your account. What? Why do I need an account to have a dollar-off coupon? That's not even the worst part. You have another option. You can verify by device. They give you a phone number. You call that phone number. And then they call you back within one business day to give you a verification code that you can use to get $1 off your razor blades. How does that sound? Uh, a lot of work. Doesn't sound like the Gillette that sent you that birthday razor however many years ago when you were 18. Huh? Yep. Huh? I think Gillette wins because they're... Because they're first all, to market. They're 115 years old. Well, they're ingrained I, in your mind. They're like imagine, Kleenex. I would imagine if I were to walk into their marketing department, most of the focus would be offline marketing. Mailers, um, being in Costco, Sam's Club, stores. Right. That's where people... Totally. Because like, well, most people are just in the mindset of, I need to go pick up some razors, and that's where they're still seeing Gillette yeah. being displayed. Yeah. One, one thing that Avnash says they do well is Amazon. So they have a really good... They like... He, he he didn't say this, but it kind of gave the impression that Gillette puts all their all their eggs in the Amazon basket. Anyway, here's the last thing that I want to talk about as far as uh, Gillette goes is their reviews. Okay, so you go to their website and they have reviews uh, posted, and uh, I actually want to I want to read some of this real quick. Let me let me find that page. Oh, you know what? I think it's on the back of it. Okay, so most reviews on Gillette's site are by people who love Gillette razors, except the reviews are by people who got free razors. So Gillette is sending free razors to people, asking them to leave a review, but then in every single review, they disclose that. Would you do that? Would I do what? Like, would I do leave the review? No. Would you, as Gillette... On every single <clears throat> review, so you give someone a free razor, you say, hey, I'd appreciate a review. They come, they leave a review, and, and they're not all good. Like, they have a, a couple two-star reviews, but at the bottom of every single review, every single one, good, bad, it doesn't matter. At the bottom of every single one, they say, this review has been, has been uh, was collected as part of a promotion. Like every Amazon says that? Or no, this Gillette? is on Gillette on their website. So they're embedding the reviews in their website. They're basically paying people to leave positive reviews. Uh-huh. And then they have to disclose it. And then they disclose it. Would you disclose it? Is that a rule? Like, is that a law? Well, yeah, because they're receiving compensation, essentially. So I could see how the FTC could look at that. And Gillette's a big enough company. Like They seem like a very corporate company where I could see the lawyers being like, we need to make sure there's a disclaimer on these. In fact, it's not just said once. It's said twice. So it's in brackets. In brackets, it says... This review was collected as part of a promotion. And then right next to it, right after it, another bracket, this review was collected as part of a promotion. Yeah, it doesn't look good. <laughs> no, it doesn't. <clears throat> Excuse me. That's, anyway. the, that's the big problem of corporate marketing is once you get like these big legal teams and stuff involved, 
Their marketing goes slow. It's old. It's like a dinosaur. Plus, Gillette is owned by P&G, which is a huge company. Mm-hmm. Huge. And, and and when when you talk about legal and corporate red tape, they probably have two sets. They got to go through Gillette's and P&G. Okay, so here's the big question, Brandon. The big question is, what would you do in your first 30 days if you got a job as the head of marketing of Gillette? Oh, man. My first 30 days, I'm the head of marketing. Where would you focus? I just went through. I mean, I didn't even get through my full list. Out of the things that I've told you, how would you prioritize it? What would you do? I, like, I don't, want, I don't want to, like, lead you on to a specific path. But what would you do? First 30 days, you're the Gillette head of marketing. Where do you start? Man, well, my initial thought is we got to get more hip, um, but we've got to do it in a way where we're not we're not going to get accused of like, oh, you guys are just trying to replicate what you know these younger, faster companies are doing, like Dollar Shave Club. Do you think that's bad? I mean, yeah, people are going to call you out, but at the price of being more successful, yeah, I mean, they're losing market share like crazy. And it's going to keep going that way. I, I don't think they're ever going to be like dethroned in the near future. But I mean, I mean, what do you do? What do you do? You just gotta. I mean, with them, they're taking the high price approach, which can work if you market it right. Um, I would look at Apple as an example because they're kind of going that direction. But the the way Apple markets is genius because they show you a phone, which in all reality, in terms of like specs and the way it operates. Very, very comparable to all the other flagship phones out there. But when you look at Apple's advertising and you get uh, Johnny Ive, who is it Johnny Ive? Joey Ive? Johnny. Johnny Ive. Like you get him talking like, you know, pr- the, the clock comes at a, a, a precise tick every single time. They got those animations of like the device breaking up and they're like highlighting every little feature. Yeah. And so you're like, you know, the average consumer is like, holy crap, this phone's legit. When... A, a tech enthusiast would say, well, yeah, but most flagship phones have that chip, um, but the other ones don't talk about it. And so if I was Gillette and I would first talk to the operational side saying, can we get the price down? Like, can we do something? Because we're not going to be hip if we're charging these old school prices when everyone's doing that. So if they're stuck on that pricing, I would just put a lot of money into emphasizing uh, the quality of the the Gillette razor blade and why you're getting a better shave and just really paint the narrative of, yeah, you can go the cheaper route, but you're not getting the high quality image. So that's kind of like their, whether I, I want to go the fun hip route, but it's very tough to do that when you're more expensive. So when you're more expensive, you then just got to like change people's narrative and say, yeah, that's cool. If you want to go get the best effing starter kit set for $5, well, I think their mistake was they lowered the prices of the existing products. What they should have done is come out with new products that appealed to the the folks that didn't want to pay as much. So you have these really great products, and you don't touch those prices. I mean, uh, Apple did that, right? They didn't lower the cost of the new iPhone. What they did was they came out with the iPhone C. Yeah, which didn't do well. That's true. But, I mean, they still did it. Yeah. And, and, and they've done it. And that's not the only case when they when they did it, they also came out with uh, once they uh, once they grew the size of the phone, they went back to the old size, but a better better hardware. You know oh, what I'm talking yeah. about? The iPhone five. Yeah, the the iPhone five size. Oh yeah, but then I forget the what yeah it's I called. forgot what it's called. But e? yeah, but that one did well. Yeah, 
I think their expectations were a little bit lower <laughs> for that, but I think it did really well because there's a specific user base who doesn't want a bigger phone. Well, it's because they didn't market it as a, like they specific when they were marketing the iPhone C. It was like we're using a cheaper, yeah. like, a more yeah, affordable, right. and so people half the reason people get iPhones is because it's a status symbol of of wealth or and, and what Apple basically just did is say if you're buying an Apple or a, an iPhone C, you you're look cheap. Like, yeah, you look like an idiot. So people yeah. didn't want to buy that versus. I'm sure that that smaller phone was cheaper to make, but because that wasn't the narrative around it, they're like, oh, yeah, I love the smaller screens. Yeah, and some people do. Yeah. Some people do. Nate Birch, for example. I don't think he'll ever go to a bigger screen. Probably not. He's probably still using the same iPhone. Yeah, totally. Anyway, any last thoughts? Uh, No, that was interesting. You did preface your uh, information by saying that I would be switching over. But I don't think I'll be switching over. Yeah, that's just because you're hard headed and partially because it's this. If I was shaving all the time, I probably would switch over. I've looked in the Dollar Shave Club, but I rarely shave that much. When I do, it's so just, just pause like it. Trimming stuff. So when so, I was growing out my beard, I stopped. I stopped my order and I just paused it until I started shaving again, and then they started sending it to me again. Like I can go to Sam's Club and get. 12, 14 cartridges for like 30 bucks, and that will last me literally two years. Okay. Dollar Shave Club will save you more money. I'll look into it then. You should. I promise. Hey, that's all the time we have. If you have found value in this episode, I would encourage you to go to iTunes and leave a review. Actually, we're on the Google Play Store now. Yes. I forgot. To, we should have opened with we that. We should have opened with that. We are now on the Google Play Store. The other thing I want to say is that starting August 17th, for season four, we're moving our live broadcast or a live feed to 6 p.m. Mountain Standard Time, whereas right now it's at 5. That's still the case, right, Brandon? Uh, allegedly. Okay. I might need to talk about that. <laughs> I should have held my tongue. <laughs> uh, okay, so if you want to get in touch with us, you're welcome to hop onto the Facebook feed. We monitor the, we monitor the, the comments. Uh, John is not here today, so he, we weren't that good at monitoring the comments, but... Uh, you can come on, reach us there. We're on Twitter at below the fold. Or sorry, I always do that. Below the fold IO. You can also go to our website below the fold IO and leave a, your comments there. You can submit tip, topic ideas. Anyway, until next week, we'll catch you below the fold. <laughs>